G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We are connecting today with one of the most Christianly outspoken politicians we've seen. Contesting the federal election and looking like making a splash even on election day this Saturday. As you know, most of our political insight doesn't come directly from politicians aligned to the parties, but from trusted Christian commentators. And we cover developments internationally as well as here in Australia. Well, today we're disappointed that we don't have a Labor Party spokesperson. You might remember we were looking to welcome Labor Senator Deborah O'Neill last Thursday, but the senator was on a plane. We tried to reschedule for today, but it appears the senator has a more pressing engagement and has declined to take up the opportunity that we offered to connect with Christian listeners on 2020. However, I am pleased that one of the most controversial MPs in the Parliament is joining us and is renowned for being one of the most significant Christian MPs in Australia. He's even more controversial because he recently resigned from the Liberal Party or the Liberal National Party after announcing he would not be recontesting the next election. But as events unfolded, George Christensen has aligned himself with the One Nation Party and is third place on the One Nation Senate ticket for Queensland. And uh, he is open to your questions and queries. He knows, no doubt, that not everyone will think what he's done is good. So 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to join in our conversation today as we welcome George Christensen. George, welcome back to 2020. Well, thank you very much, Neil. George, just before we get into uh, controversial issues, and I know there are no holds barred. Listeners might have issues they'd like to raise, and you're more inclined to give a straight-talking insight because you're now no longer aligned with the government. Uh, So we'll invite those questions to come. Uh, Just give us a a little bit of insight here. You've aligned with One Nation. Uh, Some people will say you're a turncoat to the Liberal National Party. Uh, What are your responses to that, and uh, how do you justify where you're standing right now? Well, Neil, uh, you know, in in probably in this order, uh, I'm I'm a Christian. I'm a father. I'm a a husband. I'm I'm a conservative, and you know, uh, the Christian and the conservative part of me and also the concern for, for the future about being a father now, um, you know, that all led me to do what I've done because I feel that the the conservative values, the values particularly around uh, freedom, freedom of choice, freedom of faith, freedom of speech, uh, freedom of association, freedom of movement. These are the things that sadly I saw betrayed over the last uh, few years. And uh, um, I, I saw the, um, the Liberal National Party constantly pandering to traditional Christians, but, uh, 
but never ever delivering on the promise. Um, the religious discrimination bill is a case in point. Uh, so, Matt, I, I just decided that uh, time was up. The party had strayed too far from the values that uh, that got me into it in the thir- first place nearly uh, three decades ago. And uh, when I sat down and I actually I was invited to join uh, One Nation by Senator Pauline Hanson, and when I sat down and looked at their policies, um, I thought to myself, wow, that these, these policies directly align with my values and my vision in particular, the, the, not the abortion policy that One Nation has, but what they call their pro-life policy. It has to be the best pro-life policy of any Australian political party. And uh, uh, so, so that's why I joined One Nation. Well, jumping ship from the Liberal National Party and joining One Nation, and uh, listeners will know we've been talking about what the Australian Christian Lobby has as a a spectrum. They're calling it a wokeometer, with a listing of all the parties on the far left uh, to the woke parties on the left to the centre-left parties uh, where you'd put the Labour Party. And then you get uh, sort of centre-right where you've got the Liberal National Coalition and then other Conservative parties that are further to the right, further, more deeply conservative. How do you describe where One Nation is? Because some listeners might be thinking One Nation is a little more on the extreme right side. Where do you say One Nation is, George? I I pitch them probably just to the right of the uh, Liberal National Party. Um, I think that uh, well, well, not, not <laughs> well, not just to the right. To the right of the Liberal National Party. The problem with the Liberal National Coalition is that it has drifted leftward uh, to the point where these days, with a few exceptions, and uh, I'm happy to rattle them off: uh, Senator Alex Antic, Senator Jared Rennick, Senator Matt Canavan, uh, and and uh, a, a few others, uh, Lou O'Brien. Probably, I'd say Barnaby Joyce. You know that the the direction of the Liberal National Party has become one that I akin to Labor light, and uh, I think that's a bad choice for voters when you've got uh, left wing party A and a little bit left wing party B. Um, you know, conservative voters should have a conservative choice, and I think the conservative choice this election uh, for those who cherish freedoms and. Uh, want to support family policies, uh, One Nation is that party. No doubt you are a thorn in the side of the Liberal National Government because of uh, your defection. Uh, That, no doubt, would be causing all sorts of angst uh, in the Conservative side because there's a big statement that's made in that and no doubt you've taken into consideration some of those concerns. Hey, I do want to open up the talkback lines for listeners. Just before we do, and there's listeners patiently waiting now, but just before we do, in the former segment on our uh, finance segment, we do regularly on a Tuesday, Alex Cook, our finance commentator, uh, he was indicating uh, issues around uh, a a World Health Organization uh, document uh, agreement that is uh, being called, uh, you know, around the world for nations to sign up to it, that somehow or other uh, would deliver Australia of having our own health sovereignty. Are you across the issue? Because listeners might be concerned uh, that that is one of those controversial issues we're not hearing about in the mainstream media. Very concerned about it and very across it. Um, This is the pandemic treaty that's being uh, referred to that the World Health Organisation is putting out there. 
I think it's one of those international documents that if it's accepted by the Australian government does have the ability to usurp sovereignty, uh, like a lot of the treaties that we enter into. Uh, that treaty is uh, proposed to uh, to be finalised in 2024. Uh, now, the Prime Minister has just uh, gone on air. I just got a text message from a reliable source earlier to say that, um, that the government, uh, as a Liberal National Party, would be supporting that pandemic treaty. Uh, so that's a concern itself, and you can bet your bottom dollar that the Labor Party will also be supportive of it. Now, there is a separate thing. Uh, there are changes that are happening later in the month, uh, or proposed changes. They haven't happened yet, and it's going to be voted on by the World Health Assembly. Changes to the international health regulations. Now, um, I'm getting more information on these proposed changes to the international health regulations, but uh, they do sound concerning. Uh, for instance, the um, Director-General of the World Health Organisation has the new capacity under these changes, uh, proposed changes, to uh, declare a public health emergency in, in any country. Um, and there will be things that actually flow from that. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm concerned about giving uh, carte blanche uh, uh, you know, powers to some foreign body, uh, a globalist body, to actually say that there is a certain situation in Australia or that there isn't, and uh, you know, for other powers to flow from that. But I, I'm still yet to get across the the absolute detail. There's a lot of speculation on the internet about what those international health regulation changes or proposed changes would do. But I'm I'm wanting to look at the absolute facts before I. Uh, fire off anything. Um, the point is, Neil, that a lot of these treaties and a lot of these globalist bodies that we uh, we sign up to and we ratify always have uh, the effect of undermining a national sovereignty. And sadly, that even goes into personal sovereignty because uh, we know government that's far removed from the people has less concern about people's freedom. Um, and when you have a government that's based over in Geneva uh, making decisions for what might happen in Australia, I can tell you they will not care about the impact on freedom. Okay. Listeners might have a further development question on that. Uh, we'll open talkback lines. 1-800-316-316. You can help direct where we go today. Let's take some calls and we'll try to go fairly quickly. There might be a few calls lining up. Mel is in Queensland. Hi, Mel. Welcome. Yes, good morning. Um, Australia has a ageing population. We've got more people aged over 45 years of age. Um, can you comment, please, on any policy developments around mature age workers? Because there seems very yes. little talked about regarding mature age workers, please. Thank you. Mature age workers, George. Yeah, they get a, get a very raw deal sometimes from some employers, which is... Uh, uh, very sad. Um, look, uh, I, I'm just going to talk in terms of One Nation's approach here. I mean, firstly, we're against age discrimination in the workplace, of course. Um, one thing that springs to mind, which may not be directly the issue that uh, Mel's looking for, but we've got a lot of aged people that are that have reached retirement age but actually still want to work. So they might be accessing the age pension, for instance, and they've still got the capacity to do um, some hours a week, uh, but they don't because they end up losing pension. Um, so 
One Nation's got a policy that we are going to push the government towards uh, that is about allowing pensioners to keep their full pension and yet earn more money. Um, we think that that is uh, the way to go. There's a labour shortage across the nation. Uh, right now, if you are an employer in some aspects, you're looking for anything with arms, legs and a heartbeat. And so to knock back someone because of their age would be stupid. And we think the time's probably right to actually let even a few more age pensioners uh, who want to get into the workforce again get back into it, but not lose their benefits from the government. Mel, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to engage in this conversation today, interestingly, Pauline Hanson, who's now your boss, uh, we might say George, uh, with a longish career now, more than 20 years, uh, those who are over 45 uh, have grown up with Pauline Hanson and uh, she wasn't altogether everybody's cup of tea in those early days and all sorts of accusations and listeners might want to pick up on some of those sorts of things and you might uh, be thinking I've got a bad taste about Pauline Hanson you'll be welcome to call but uh, but but a lot of people listening today they've grown up with Pauline Hanson and uh, some of the Pauline Hanson policies uh, have become a part of mainstream Australia. Any thoughts here on the way things have evolved over Pauline Hanson's career and the way that One Nation is growing? Well, she's been somewhat actually of a, of a maligned prophet, and prophets are often maligned. She was actually sent to jail, if you recall, for uh, a crime that she'd never ever committed and it was overturned. Uh, but Pauline's been calling out, uh, you know, uh, totemic issues, I guess, for a long time whether it be immigration and the high rates of immigration that have led to the pressures on our infrastructure, the pressures on our housing prices, uh, foreign investment uh, in, um, in agriculture and, uh, and, and also in the residential space, which, which is, again has led to issues. She's been uh, talking about the rise of China for a long while. Um, so, so on a range of different topics, she's been sounding the alarm, and that, that was, uh, oh... When was she elected? 1996, uh, she was first elected to the House of Representatives. So we're talking a hell of a long time ago that uh, that these matters were being raised that are all coming to the fore today. So, yes, I think that um, in some ways uh, she's been a bit of a, a political prophet. one 316 let us take a call. Mark is in Port Lincoln in South Australia. Hi, Mark. Uh, good morning, uh- yeah, I've just got a, a, a question or a, after a, a reflection on, on uh, perhaps a comment on the role of the media within our current system at the moment. Like we, we listen to the media and that shapes our, the information and our perspective on everything in life, whether it be you know, COVID or a political system or uh, climate change, etc. And I would like perhaps comment in regards to how you see that shaping the, the current political climate because there seems to be some demonisation happening of you know various political people including Pauline Hanson in, in the past and perhaps now too and how we as a community can be uh, get our information that's perhaps balanced and uh, even in regards to making decisions for, for voting. Mark, good thought there. Uh, your uh, response for Mark here, George... Well, such a good question. And good people like yourself, Neil, and Vision FM are excluded from that criticism, no doubt. Uh, actually, one of the things you can <laughs> do is to listen to Vision <laughs> FM. Neil, 
Neil a bit more, uh, who's open to uh, to alternative views. But look, um, you know, you're right. I mean, media essentially tries to play the role of setting the agenda. I mean, uh, the issues that we see hit our television screens and then our consciousness, um, collective consciousness as a nation almost, uh, simply because they're on the front page of the newspaper or they're being screamed out through the television sets. Uh, there's a bunch of issues that could be discussed, uh, like mature-age workers or whatever have you, that aren't being discussed because uh, they're not in front of people via the, uh, the tube or the newspaper. Um, so, you know, I think that uh, this is absolutely right, what, what Mark is saying. Now, I, um, I try to maintain a, a healthy diet of looking at uh, just enough uh, of the mainstream media that I need to get across an issue and then looking at a variety of other viewpoints. And uh, we have that ability through the through the internet, uh, obviously. Now, my concern uh, with this, Neil, is that um, over in the US, they've proposed this uh, Orwellian-sounding disinformation group or agency. In Australia, this is coming as well. The Liberal National Party has proposed that the, uh, there'd be new rules around disinformation. And I think that disinformation sometimes is in the eye of the beholder. I've seen many a fact check on an issue which really comes down to an opinion check, not a fact check. And uh, my worry is that uh, who is going to be declaring what as disinformation and will it truly be disinformation or just something that, uh, that a bureaucrat or someone else disagrees with? Um, so uh, there is right now the ability of people to look at alternate sources of information and make up their own mind. My worry that even that is being proposed to be taken away from us, and that is a policy of the Liberal National Party at this stage. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. George Christensen is our guest. He resigned from the Liberal National Party. He has aligned with One Nation. He is the third person on the One Nation Senate ticket for Queensland. Talk back line open, 1-800-316-316. And uh, quickly coming up on news. So let's see if we can take some quick calls. Michael is in Toowoomba. Hi, Michael. Welcome. Hi, uh, George and Neil. Um, good on you, George, for what you're doing. Uh, it is right what you guys are saying. Uh, Pauline, Clive Palmer and all these Craig, Craig Kelly have been demonised for their points of view and uh, sad, sad thing on, on our, our media today. But question today is, would the Liberal, our local Liberal member here was asked at a meeting the other day, does he know about this WHO thing? And he, he denied he had any knowledge of it. Would that be accurate or not? George... Yeah. He, it probably would be, and look, I would say uh, I know Garth Hamilton. I think Garth Hamilton is a is a nice guy, actually, and uh, probably one of the good guys inside the uh, the tent. Um, having said that, uh, you know, members of Parliament aren't across everything, and uh, uh, you know, you, you in fact you're presented with that much legislation, you can't even be across all the legislation when you're in there, let alone what. Uh, what uh, extra-governmental bodies are doing. And that's why, actually, it is vitally important for voters to be in contact with their federal member of parliament and sending them information. The only reason that I actually got onto the issue of the pandemic treaty and the international health regulations was because of people emailing me with the info that I was able to then sift through 
and get to the bottom of. So um, uh, he probably is right. I, I, I would say I know Garth well enough to know that he would uh, he wouldn't be spending a lie like that. He probably is right, and that he didn't know. And you would find that on most of these sort of big topics, uh, most MPs are unaware. Michael, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Eris is in Brisbane. Hello, Eris. Welcome. Hello, uh, mate. How are you? Good. Eris, need to be quick. What are your thoughts? Um, I I vote on people's faces because they're aura. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, yeah, sometimes that's probably not going to be uh, a lot of good foundation in that. Uh, Iris, uh, what are your thoughts here, George? Uh, if people have a nice face, uh, does that deserve a vote? Well, pol- politics is show business for ugly people, so I'm not sure how many votes are going to happen if you have that litmus <laughs> test. But, uh... <laughs> All right. Hey, George, you've got a nice aura. Maybe you can shave that off sometime. Yeah, yeah thank you. Thank you. Iris, <laughs> thank you so much for your call. Brendan is in Serena in Queensland. Hello, Brendan. Welcome. Uh, hello, yeah. Uh, just a question for George. Um, I noticed the UAP has a policy for reducing the debt and so forth and so on. That's how they want to cost everything. What is... Uh, one Nation's, like, economic policy. I know you're um, over the life, uh, the life issue and so forth, and I greatly appreciate that, but just yeah. wanted to know economically what the party's doing. Very short to up to the news. Uh, give us a quick insight here, George. Yeah, look, absolutely concerned about uh, debt levels and uh, wasteful spending that leads to those... Uh, increased debt levels. Uh, we want to see that taken down, but we also want to see the economy grown. And uh, the only way that can be done is through abandoning uh, climate change agreements and uh, putting more investment into coal-fired power, which will provide cheap and affordable energy and allow industry to grow and pay more tax in this country. We're also big on cracking down further on multinational tax avoiders, uh, that is a big thing in One Nation's policy. So that's a quick summary of some of our economic policies, but you can see more online at onenation.org.au. So, George, let's continue to take some calls. 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Eugene in Perth. Hello, Eugene. Welcome. Hi. Hi, George. How are you? Very good, thank you. What are your thoughts, yeah, Eugene? Um, I've got a question in regards to digital ID. Um, I think the definition of a woman and um, Katrina Day about biological women competing with, with men in a single-sex sport. Um, I guess we should Eugene, you're um, you're breaking up a little bit there. I think uh, your question here for George uh, is around women competing in sport and the fact that there is a trans agenda that allows trans people, and some will say, well, that's a biological male competing in women's sporting competition. Uh, George Christensen, uh, you might have some perspectives here for where you're standing politically now and uh, where governments and opposition views might fall on this. What are your thoughts for Eugene? Well, it's a, 
a simple perspective that is probably shared by most Australians, Neil, and that is that uh, if you were born a man, you shouldn't be competing in women's sport. It's uh, pretty simple. Uh, I actually uh, know that that view is also held by some uh, people who are born biologically male who've uh, who've made themselves uh, transgendered uh, and... Um, <clears throat> they've actually said to me uh, openly, one of them being uh, 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 the Sky News commentator, uh, Catherine McGregor, that uh, she sees a, a, a big issue in, in that. Um, there was uh, a transgender person in, in Mackay here in uh, my local hometown who was in the local paper saying exactly the same thing. So, you know, this is not a transphobic thing. This is not a uh, bigoted or discriminatory thing. It's just a biological fact. If you're born a man, there are some traits that are going, physical traits, going to make it unfair for you to compete with women in sport. And I, I think that that's uh, uh, something we should be legislating for, actually, because it's getting to the point of ridiculousness now where uh, it really is depriving women of an, uh, an opportunity to, to shine in that particular field, and that field being sport. Eugene, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. George, uh, listeners will be familiar. We've been talking about the bill that has been uh, presented uh, by Claire Chandler, the Tasmanian senator around yeah. this issue. And uh, there is a tendency uh, that we might have all noticed uh, that governments can kick the can down the road and uh, you yes. can talk about things and never get to it. Uh, any perspectives here on where the government might be with a bill like that that might actually protect women in sport, women and girls, I might say, because it's girls who come up from those younger years yeah. and into women's sport. What are your thoughts about where the government might sit on that? And Well, uh, Neil, I th think you're uh, as, uh, as cynical there as you are insightful um, because it, it is right. Uh, there, it is always well and good for political parties to get up and beat their chest and say, oh, we're against something and uh, we're going to do something and then... Uh, the can is just kicked, as you say, down the road. Nothing is ever done. And we saw that with the religious discrimination bill, uh, sadly. Um, uh, and I'm afraid that we'll see it on this issue too. Now, Senator Claire Chandler is extremely passionate about this issue. And I don't for one second question her motivations on this. She's doing it because she believes it is a serious issue. Um, but uh, I think that what we've had sadly, from the Liberal National Party overall is uh, almost playing footsies with us on this uh, on this notion. Are they going to pass something or aren't they? Are they going to stop it or aren't they? Do they you know, it's well and good for the Prime Minister to get up and say, oh, we disagree with it, uh, with, with the notion of biological men playing in women's sport, but uh, what are you going to do about it, given that the fact you are in government? So that's one thing, and I'm, I'm acutely aware I'm bashing up my former party a bit here. I just want to say... The problem is, on the other side of the ledger, uh, that they don't say anything about it, um, you know, except when asked. And, uh, um, you know, I think that they would absolutely do nothing about it. I mean, Anthony Albanese has supposedly said he disagrees with it, but what's he going to do about it? Um, uh, you know, I, I don't think Labor would do anything about it, quite frankly, because it would upset a huge part of their voter base. A lot of people will think that the Labor Party is in the pocket of the LGBT agenda. Would that be a fair explanation? 
Well, Neil, you just have to go by what is the reality and what has transpired over the last few years. Now, um, Labor uh, very much scuttled the religious discrimination bill, even though they said they were going to support it. They passed uh, amendments to the Sex Discrimination Act that was sort of part of that package, and the amendments basically had the effect of um, interfering with Christian schools' ability to actually do anything about uh, the gender issue, so that is perhaps uh, negate their toilet use policies, negate their school uniform policies, uh, you know, which which dorms that uh, pupils sleep in uh, when they go on camp, that sort of stuff. Uh, but, mate, I remember directly uh, hearing from the Shadow Attorney-General who will be the, the the main arbiter of the law in Australia after the election if Labor wins, uh, saying words to the effect of that Labor disagreed with the idea uh, that, that halls and other sort of venues that are run by churches uh, should be able to uh, stop, for instance, um, gay wedding receptions taking place in them. Um, you know, they... The Labor Party believes that if a church runs a florist store um, alongside it, that that florist store uh, should not be able to say, sorry, we um, we don't want to supply to this particular event because it goes against our fundamental beliefs. Now, I think that that is really wrong, and that speaks volumes about the Labor Party's approach to this. They will always put the issue of, of LGBTIQ identity politics above freedom for faith. We're taking calls 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Tina is in Brisbane. Hi, Tina. Welcome. Hello. G'day, George. G'day, um, Neil. G'day, Tina. Tina, what are your thoughts? Um, um, with, do you know anything about, George, do you know anything about Rebecca Lloyd being disendorsed? And I thought that uh, One Nation stood for um, anti-vax mandates. And isn't that yes, why Rebecca yes. Lloyd was disendorsed? Well, um, yes, thank you for that. Uh, so I know Rebecca Lloyd, and Rebecca is uh, a lovely person. I consider her a friend, actually. Um, Rebecca was a One Nation candidate and is no longer. She's actually standing, though, as an independent candidate uh, for the Senate alongside another former One Nation uh, member, Steve Dixon, who I know as well. Um Look, there was issues with the Australian Electoral Commission and an issue around authorisation. That's what I understand the issue to be. So this was less about One Nation having a problem with Rebecca Lloyd's uh, views and candidacy and more about the Australian Electoral Commission having an issue around um, something that was on one of Rebecca's websites that she did not believe needed to be taken down. Now, I was asked by the AEC to uh, go and change some of my past websites. Uh, I complied with that because, unfortunately, these guys are the uh, judge, jury and executioner of, uh, of of politicians and political candidates, so you just got to do what they say even when you think that they're wrong. Um, and if you don't, then it befalls upon you with a $25,000 fine and it can also be fall on your political party. So One Nation didn't want to get fined. Can I just say on the issue of vaccine mandates, we are absolutely opposed. Uh, this will be our number one thing. If we get into uh, Parliament and hold the balance of power, um, we will make it a, an absolute primary condition of government that you, you must do everything you can 
to get rid of these vaccine mandates that are impacting on so many employees nationwide. Tina, thank you so much for your question. I just squeeze in a question from a listener who called through and says, what does it mean to be third on the ticket? And I uh, mentioned that you are third place on the One Nation Senate ticket. George, have you got a quick explanation for what it means to be third? It means that I, uh, to, 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 my, to my detriment, I decided to serve with the Liberal National Party right up until the end of Parliament and... Uh, Missed the uh, spot for number two. (laughs) (laughs) But look, the number two candidate is a good Christian man. His name is Raj Guruswamy. He's obviously of Indian uh, descent. He's made a very funny video that's up on YouTube and Facebook about uh, making curry great again, uh, taking a very satirical and tongue-in-cheek swipe at the Prime Minister's curry cooking skills. But um, uh, people should watch that and they'll get a bit of a laugh because we need more of a laugh in our politics. And listeners will recall we had Raj Guruswamy on a segment last week. Let's take another call. Uh, 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Steve is in Chinchilla in Queensland. Hello, Hello. Steve. Welcome. G'day. How are you doing, Neil and George? Good, thanks, Steve. G'day, Steve. Thanks. Uh, my question to... <clears throat> today is about renewables how serious uh, the governments are about our renewable energy George I'd like your opinion Um, all our cities have sewage treatment plants all our towns in the country have sewage treatment plants which pour out methane gas into the atmosphere that's right That that is a renewable that happens 24-7 and it is not being captured, yet they're trying to sell us into solar, wind farms and whatever. And this, this other resource is, is being renewed every time we flush the toilet and it's not being... Yeah. You, what's your thought on that, George? Well, um, very, very good point because, um, you know, uh, these uh, so-called renewables, wind and solar, which... Uh, uh, end up causing a bunch of problems because the materials uh, that they're made with, the solar panels, for instance, don't break down. So they're not really renewable. Um, they're unreliable. That's what they are. But uh, there are other types of renewables, such as what you described, uh, from sewage treatment plants, from landfill, um, pump, not, not pumped hydro, but proper hydro, electricity uh, that, that comes with dams. All of these are, are actual renewable resources that can be and should be looked at. The problem is uh, with the environmental movement, we're always focused on these specific problems and agendas uh, to the detriment of, of other things. And uh, But I've I got to tell you that I think that, um, that the reason behind that is two things, uh, money and control. I mean... Uh, Uh, these uh, landfills and sewage plants are often in public ownership. So uh, who, which private corporation would stand to benefit uh, uh, for that? So we don't hear much about it because the the multinational corporations aren't going to make a lot out of it. Who can control you? Uh, With with what if we turn landfills and sewage treatment plants power stations uh, well, well, nobody, because they're already there and we already do the business of uh, chucking out our rubbish and going and doing number twos. So that's uh, it's not going to be a problem. Uh, so I think that these sensible options that uh, you listen to there talked about are overlooked uh, because of two things, power and control, which really does just drive the climate change agenda. 
Steve in Chinchilla, thanks so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. Carol is in Alumba, Cairns. Hello, Carol. Welcome. Oh, hello. Good morning. What are your thoughts, Carol? Um, I'm an Aboriginal Christian. I just wanted to ask George um, what's One Nation's policy towards Aboriginal people. George. Yeah, thanks, Neil. Thanks, Carol. Um, well, look, uh, our policy is one that is completely anti-discriminatory, and I think Pauline Hanson has been verbaled a fair bit on this issue. Um, she's been out to visit a lot of different Aboriginal communities, actually, and has quite an affinity with uh, a number of different uh, Aboriginal leaders. Um, so our view is one of non-discrimination, and personally mine is too. Uh, we have a system that has been developed in this country and that really is never going to end, where we have health services, educational services, and a whole heap of other public services that are basically branched in two. There's one mainstream and there's one specifically for Indigenous people. And I know that it's all to do with closing the gap. Uh, the point is, though, that uh, while we have these two different services that are never going to end, we will never, ever close that gap. So I think that there's got to be a deadline set on closing the gap um, so that we work towards it, get it done, close these educational, employment and health disparities, disparities and then we can all be mainstreamed as one um, rather than, than, than having um, discriminatory um, government services as we currently do. Carol, thank you so much for your call. Just before we move on from this point for a few moments, uh, just coming back to the Senate ticket for One Nation and uh, Raj yes. Guraswamy, an Indian man, uh, is number two on the Senate ticket. Yes. It, it makes some statement here because a lot of listeners will be remembering uh, that over many years, Pauline Hanson has been called all sorts of names, including yeah. racist, racist uh, and yeah. uh, because she's been so outspoken. And so if we're talking about uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander issues, uh, it does make a statement to have an Indian on the Senate ticket. Any thoughts here around trying to manoeuvre uh, Pauline Hanson's image away from uh, somehow rather there being a race division there to being embracing of uh, all of the different uh, cultures, nationalities, indigeneity in Australia? Yeah, look, I think that, uh, again, Pauline's been verbaled uh, because of, you know, her opposition to uh, Aboriginal uh, land rights or native title, which a lot of people had concerns about back in those days. Uh, and I've got to say that some of those concerns have proved to be accurate because really uh, native title has done nothing to improve the economic lot of, of uh, Aboriginal people. In fact, a lot of Aboriginal people that I've spoken to have said that it actually decreases opportunity because they can't actually realise the value of property. Um, they can't go and set up businesses on native title land. And the other thing is um, the issues that Pauline's had around multiculturalism uh, which I share, a lot of other Australians share the issues around multiculturalism. We have nothing wrong with multi-ethnicism or a multi-ethnic community. Uh, the problem is when cultures that are not just foreign, but also, I guess, um, that, that jar with uh, traditional Australian culture 
uh, put into the melting pot, there becomes a bit of an issue. So, yes, look, Raj Guruswami's appearance on the ticket, I mean, while there's, there's no tokenism, in it, there's no tokenism whatsoever, he's there on his merits. He's a former mining executive, uh, you know, and he's had a long career in business and uh, he certainly is uh, known amongst uh, the Indian community and the wider community. Um, uh, Raj just shows that um, one nation does not have a racist bone in its body. If it is, uh, why would there be a man of Indian ethnicity uh, there on our ticket? Um, so uh, there you go. Okay, let's take one more call. Rabinia is in Bunbury in WA. Hi, Rabinia, welcome. Hello, thank you. Um, I want to know where One Nation stands on what children are being taught in school. Little boys being taught they can be girls and little girls being taught they can be boys. This is urgent. It is urgent, Rabinia. Uh, Thoughts here. Where would One Nation sit on that whole uh, issues around, uh, around little boys and little girls? Well, I'll tell you where we sit on it. Where we, where we sit on this issue is uh, getting schools and our teachers and our education system back to what it should be, which is uh, teaching kids how to read, write, spell, arithmetic, uh, all the rest of it, instilling also discipline in our schools, which has become a major issue as teachers struggle to actually teach due to behavioural challenges. And what we want to do is to get the wokeness out of the classroom, to get ideology and politics out of the classroom, to get that gender-fluid nonsense out of the classroom. It has no place in it. And again, this is one of these issues where we hear a lot of talk from uh, the powers that be on on these matters, particularly in the LNP, but we see very little in the way of action. Now, uh, the government of the day could do something here because they fund largely our, our public education system now. So they hold, he who holds the purse strings also holds the power. And in this, uh, we can wipe out all this nonsense, but only if there is a concerted effort to do so. Uh, I would note, though, that on the flip side... Uh, an incoming Labor government would probably only double down on this nonsense and ensure that there's more of it in our schools, given it seems the union movement, the, the teachers' union movement, is uh, absolutely up to their eyeballs in it. I've seen motions that have been passed through teachers' union conferences uh, saying that there needs to be more of this uh, gender-fluid and ideological woke nonsense taught in our schools. So uh, hopefully we won't see more of it. We need to see less. Rabinia, thank you so much for your call. Time has run out, George. Uh, third place on the One Nation Senate ticket for Queensland. Uh, in reality, it means it's going to be very hard for you to be elected. Uh, how do you see it your does. chances? Uh, look, it does. Uh, I'm, I'm in it because I believe in the cause. Um, I, I'm in it, hopefully, to win it, but it will take a big effort to... Uh, uh, to get the third spot uh, over the line, which I'm in. Uh, having said that, now I'm in it uh, because I believe in uh, Senator Pauline Hanson, her ability to be a sentry at the gate. Uh, I believe that Raj Guruswami will also play a very important role in that and that we need more sentries there in the Senate to protect you, your listeners, their families and our nation from bad laws because there's too many of them coming forward and some of your listeners have alluded to that today. 
Well, George, no doubt there'll be some extra listeners to our conversation today who'll be looking especially for your name in the vast number of names on that huge ballot form for the Senate ballot. And, you know, all the best for you on the election day this coming Saturday. Thanks so much, though, for not being too politicking and sharing your heart and your perspectives uh, on what's happening as an insider from your role with the LNP and uh, your perspectives on what happens on the left and on the right. George Christensen, thanks so much for taking some time to share these thoughts with us today on 2020. Thank you very much, Neil, and keep on keeping on with the good work that you do. God bless. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.